You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey everybody, what's going on? I'm Trevor Noah, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is officially day 30. Yeah, day 30 of staying inside to try and prevent the spread of coronavirus. And here's your quarantine tip of the day. I know you're stuck inside, and I know it's frustrating, but why not take this time to try and learn something new, you know? Like how to play an instrument. That's what I've done. Yeah, I've been learning how to play air guitar. I'll uh, play something for you. It's one of my favorite songs that I've learned. One, two, three, four. Wait, sorry, wait, let me start again. Uh, Two, three, four. Wait, 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 sorry, wait, let me... Oh, sorry, I was holding it the wrong way. Hold on. Anyway, on tonight's episode, why the unemployment system is a mess, Jabuki Young White defeats Netflix, and Donald Trump hands out the world's most useless permission slip. So, let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Before we get into all the coronavirus news, let's catch up on some fun stories in our daily dose of a ray of sunshine. All right, let's kick things off with a story about Zoom. It's the app that tells you which of your friends have bookshelves and the reason every work call now looks like the beginning of the Brady Bunch. From the beginning of these shutdowns, everyone who can has been using video calling apps to work from home, but now, a judge in Florida is reminding people that just because you're at home doesn't mean you're not at work. One South Florida judge is telling lawyers that they need to dress nicer for their Zoom calls. Broward County Judge Dennis Bailey says that he's been seeing uh, people dress pretty casually here. He says one attorney called in without a shirt on at a woman who was still under the covers in her bed. One person was seen in beach gear while poolside during the hearing. The judge wants everyone to treat court hearings as they were actually in court and dress appropriately. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little conflicted about this story. Because look, on the one hand, I agree with the judge. Just because you're stuck in the house and zooming into work, doesn't mean all of a sudden you can dress like the before photo on Queer Eye. On the other hand, if you're stuck in the house and zooming into work, maybe we shouldn't have to pretend like this whole situation is dignified. I'm watching my roommate take a dump with the door open right now. It really doesn't matter if I'm wearing a suit. This also makes you realize how simple human beings are, right? Someone just changes their outfit and all of a sudden, we act completely differently. That guy's in a bathing suit. I can't take legal advice from him. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, never mind. Now he put a silk thing around his neck. Yeah, yeah, that guy's a professional something. Now, while some people are trying to keep up with the charade of normal life, one family who's stuck in the house in North Carolina, they've just decided to lean into the craziness by starting what they call the Quarantine Olympics. Yeah. And this involves made-up events like uh, blindfolded toilet paper dodgeball and straw-drinking water races. And they've kicked off a brand-new viral trend. (laughs) 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 What's up? Oh, Josh. (laughs) Okay, people. I am officially a fan of the Quarantine Olympics. And if you ask me, these sports are just as legitimate as the real Olympic sports. Because if we're honest, all sports were made because people were just bored and looking for stuff to do. What is basketball? Basketball is just throwing a circle into a bucket. 
Yeah, I said it, LeBron James. What are you gonna do, come find me? You can't leave your house. Please don't leave your house, LeBron, I'm just joking. So, I mean, if you think about it, drinking water out of a straw quickly while another thing is pouring the water, that'll probably be its own league in 50 years, right? And Aunt Becky's kids are gonna pretend that they were stars on the high school toilet paper dodgeball team. It's gonna be a thing. Oh, and say what you want about white parents, but you can't deny that they know how to be fun. Do you see them? the living room, just throwing things with their kids. Because let me tell you something, there are no African families who are throwing toilet paper around the living room right now. Yeah. Even if African parents do allow quarantine Olympics, all the events will just end up being chores. Okay, everybody, that was great, eh? Now let's see who's the best at cleaning the kitchen. But dad, we want to throw toilet paper like it's TikTok Olympics. <laughs> when you buy the toilet paper, you can throw the toilet paper. Until that time, let's see who's the best at cleaning the kitchen. Okay, and finally, my favorite story comes out of Pennsylvania, where a 93-year-old woman stuck in her house held a sign out of her window saying, I need more beer. And then after a picture went viral, Coors sprang into action and delivered her 10 cases of beer. And I'm really excited that this worked for her because I've tried the same thing. Yeah, I've had a sign outside my window for weeks and I've gotten nothing. And this just shows that you can't judge a book by its cover because we always think that old people are just sitting around doing boring things like knitting or Sudoku or reminiscing about having sex on the Titanic. But this story changes everything. We gotta think of old people differently. They're living life. In fact, I think they need to add a different setting to those life alert necklaces. Mrs. Fletcher, are you okay? Did you fall? No, I'm out of booze and I can't get crunk. Send some immediately. I'm trying to turn up. All right, that's your ray of sunshine. Let's catch up on today's headlines. In the wake of the United States experiencing its worst one-day coronavirus death toll, President Trump, has been scrambling to find somebody to blame for why his administration took so long to act. He's blamed China, Obama, Carol Baskin, Hillary's emails for some reason. And yesterday, Trump turned his sights on the World Health Organization. Yeah, Trump announced that he would be withholding funding from the WHO because he says they were too slow to acknowledge human-to-human -human transmission of the coronavirus. He says they were also taking too long to declare an international public health emergency. And he criticized them for praising China's transparency. Now, look, those may be valid criticisms, but they still don't explain why Trump ignored his own advisors who were telling him to prepare for a major outbreak. They also don't explain why Trump also praised China for their transparency. And even if you don't think the WHO is perfect, the middle of a pandemic, the middle of a pandemic is not a good time to cut funding from a group that is an integral part of fighting coronavirus. Yes, the organization is not perfect, but this is not the time to cut them off. It's the same reason you don't give your Uber driver one star during the ride. You do that shit after you're safe at home, not while you're doing 90 on the freeway. One star, huh? One star, I'll show you one star, mother... And even if the World Health Organization acted perfectly, I don't know what Trump would have done differently. Because his White House is filled with a bunch of idiots. And I know, I know that's harsh, but I only say that because they are. 
There could be other strains later on. This can come back in the fall in a limited way. Uh, this is COVID-19, not COVID-1, folks. And so you would think the people charged with the World Health Organization uh, facts and figures would be right. on top of that. Seriously? This is COVID-19, not COVID-1? You know, you would think one of the president's top advisors would know that it's called COVID-19 because it started in 2019. Not because it's the 19th COVID. What, does Kellyanne Conway also think that they called Blink-182 because the first 181 blinks were taken? You know, sometimes I think Trump tells Kellyanne Conway to say dumb things on purpose just so that he looks smart in comparison. Kellyanne, I just told a reporter that Shrek is the president of Scotland. Please go out there and say something dumber. I need you. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's jump into the big story. Thanks to the coronavirus, people are stuck at home. Businesses have been shut down and millions of parents have been forced to Google how to kill your kids and get away with it. And because so many people are now unemployed, it is up to the US government to step in and give people some assistance while they ride out the shutdowns that have been imposed nationwide. So today, millions of Americans began receiving a one-time payment of $1,200 from the government. Now remember, that's only for people with direct deposits. Everyone else will have to wait longer for a paper check to come in the mail. Now, Trump wants every single one of these checks to have his signature on them, which they don't need, but he wants that. And so because of that, the checks could be delayed for an extra few days. Yeah. And that's gonna be another obstacle for those checks. Because remember, now that the check has Trump's name on it, the banks will probably decline it out of habit. Now, a one-time cash payment is definitely helpful. But what many people in America need right now is unemployment benefits. And right now, across America, the unemployment system has become kind of a disaster. Tonight, an unprecedented turn in the unemployment disaster. Another 6.6 .6 million Americans applying for jobless benefits last week alone. Skyrocketing in just a month from a 50-year low to nearly 17 million seeking benefits in just the last three weeks. But that number is most certainly underreported. Many have been unable to file. The problem, states don't have the staff to handle the unprecedented demand. I've tried at 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m., and there's just no getting through. I've calculated over 2,000 attempts to call. Yeah, that's right. People have been spending all day, all day, just trying to get through to someone on the phone at the unemployment office. It's like an evil twist where filing for unemployment has now become these people's full-time job. I mean, that one woman said that she tried 2,000 times. She called 2,000 times. That is insane. That's as many calls as a mom makes when something goes wrong in the city where you live. Hi, love, I heard there was a car accident in New York. Are you okay? Yeah, I know you don't live there anymore, but I'm just checking. Okay, okay, love you, bye-bye. Now, obviously, 17 million people becoming instantly unemployed is gonna put strain on an unemployment system. But what hasn't helped is that America's unemployment system is built on technology that is one degree above Amish. Websites are crashing nationwide. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly admitted the technology for the unemployment system is four decades old and is not working as it should. Most states are still running on software that is basically from 60 years ago. Kentucky's website is run using the COBOL language developed back in 1959. I was born in the late 1970s 
and so was our mainframe system. The same computers that processed my unemployment in 1981 are the ones they're still using today. Uh, look at those phones. Those phones are from the 70s. Sweet Lord, that is some old-ass technology. Do you even call it technology when it's that old? Software written in the 50s, computers from the 80s. And did you see those phones? Yes, younger viewers of this show, those are phones. Look at those things. They're so old, the only thing they look like they call is the past. Hello, black people? Yeah, whatever you do, don't get on those boats. Free buffet? No, no, still, don't get on those boats. Now, I know a lot of people out there are gonna want to use this as an example that government is all a big bloated bureaucracy that can't get anything done. But here's the thing. If America looks just over the border, you'll see what happens when the people in government actually work to make government succeed. For those who have stopped working and lost their income due to the outbreak, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit will pay a taxable $2,000 per month, up to four months. Three and a half million people apply since being introduced just a week ago. The government says to date about 90% of claims have been processed. It just started on Monday and already two days later, many are receiving the $2,000 payments into their bank accounts. But some are telling us that they've received more money than they expected. Okay, you know what, Canada? I feel like now you're just rubbing it in. You're not only getting people their money quickly and efficiently, you're also giving them more money than they expected. I feel like Canada is always trying to one-up America. America has healthcare, Canada has universal healthcare. America has expensive college, Canada has affordable college. America's president adds a little color to his face, Canada's leader went all the way. They're always winning. And before you say this is all Corona's fault and there's nothing the American government could have done, consider this. Many other developed countries facing the same shutdowns have cut right to the chase and prevented mass unemployment from happening to begin with. How did they do it? Well, the governments of the UK, Denmark, and France paid companies to keep workers on a payroll and then subsidized 80 to 90% of their salaries. Yeah, that's what they did. Meanwhile, America is like, a lot of you assholes complaining about being broke, but you still walking around with two kidneys. Ain't nobody stopping you from selling one of those. So with the unemployment system buckling and coronavirus causing almost 20 million people to lose their jobs, anyone could be forgiven for losing all hope. But I will say this, while America might not have the most efficient government, one thing this country has in droves is a willingness to help one another in a time of need. Some bar owners are going to extreme lengths to make sure their employees are getting paid right now. This bar in Georgia has been stapling dollar bills to the walls for years. And the bar's owner decided to take down each dollar bill one by one to pay her employees. An act of kindness in a town in Iowa raises spirits at a time it is needed most. The anonymous person gave every household in that town about $150 worth of gift cards. Mario Salerno owns roughly 80 apartments in his hometown of Williamsburg, so he decided decided this month to waive rent for everyone, 200 tenants, and he is not collecting. I says, don't worry about paying me. Worry about your neighbor. Worry about your family. Yeah, that's how you know coronavirus has changed everything. Even New York landlords now have a heart of gold. Think about it. When have you ever heard anyone say, my landlord is amazing? That's like hearing someone say, that fight on Twitter really made me change my mind. And it's not just that amazing man who's doing his part. My landlord has also been doing everything he can to keep coronavirus from spreading. 
Like, he won't even come to my apartment to fix my sink for the past three years. Social distancing. I see you, Greg. So remember, folks, right now, the government is trying to help people, but they're bursting at the seams trying to keep up with the fallouts of this pandemic, which means wherever we can, we have to try and help each other out. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna use one of those old time-traveling phones to give my five-year-old self some advice. Hey, little Trevor, you know all the toilet paper? Yeah, you need to start hoarding it right now. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. With everyone stuck in quarantine for a month, at some point, you run out of things to do. But if there's one person I know who knows how to keep himself entertained, it's Jabuki Young-White. So I gave him a call to see what he found out. Yo, Trevor, what's up? What's going on, Jabuki Young-White? Happy Wednesday, my friend. Yeah, if you say so. I measure time in months now, so. Happy March. Well, it's actually April. Okay, if you say so. Anyway, um, dude, I just wanted to call in and check with you and see how you've been handling quarantine so far, man. Bro, I am so bored, Trevor. I'm so bored. I beat all my video games. I just like solved a jigsaw puzzle. I also sexed everybody in my contact, so out of thirst traps now. And I watch everything on Netflix, man. Everything. Oh, well, I mean, if you've run out of things on your queue, I could actually recommend a few shows that are really good right now. No, dude. I mean, I watched all the shows. I finished Netflix. The entire thing. Wait, you finished Netflix? Chibuki, there's like, there's like a million shows on Netflix. Yeah, more like 125 million. But the last 10 million go by really fast, actually. It was like super quick. I barely noticed. Okay, I'm fascinated. Like, so what happens when you get to the end of Netflix? Oh my God, Trevor, it's beautiful. You just finish and then there's this like bright light that's pulling you and you just feel this sense of calm just wash over you. And then all of a sudden this guy appears and boom, it's the CEO of Netflix and you get your own TV show. (laughs) So good. All right, dude, I think you've been in quarantine for too long. Like... If Netflix is done, you know you can just watch other platforms, right? Yeah, I know. I finished all those, too. I did a Hulu, Apple, Crackle, Acorn, Quibi, Tubby, Mubby, Squirkbox, No Sam. Nope. No Sam? Yeah. What's No Sam? Okay, so it's basically just every movie that doesn't have Samuel L. Jackson. Damn, Jabuki. I feel like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, man. Why don't you just read a book? Yeah, man. I was about to get that desperate, but then I had a great idea. How about watch all the TV shows backwards? Everything becomes an entirely new story. Like, listen, like Breaking Bad is actually a story about a drug dealer who reforms himself and then becomes a high school teacher and then gets cured of his cancer. And then Law and Order is a TV show about anarchist cops that free prisoners. Game of Thrones, that's this really epic tale about this terrible show that just gets better as it keeps going it's trevor you gotta try it you have to try it wow i i guess i gotta give it a try you 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 make it sound really good yeah man you gotta try it you gotta try it all right well i I gotta go because i I gotta get back to making this show though so um have fun man oh yeah all right talk to you later trevor (laughs) merry christmas well actually it's it's april you know what never mind merry christmas see you Thanks for that, Jabuki. 
I feel like I should send him a calendar or something. Anyway, when we come back, I'll be talking to the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and we talked about Chicago's handling of the coronavirus and the national racial disparities related to COVID spread and treatment. Mayor Lightfoot, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. It's my pleasure. Um, Let's jump straight into it. You have quickly become one of the busiest mayors in America in an unfortunate time because coronavirus has really had a deep impact on Chicago. The coronavirus, as we've seen, is having a disproportionate impact on communities of color. African-Americans are dying at higher rates. I think 70% of the people who have died in your area are black, whereas only 29% of the population is black. What have you been looking at and and why do you think it's so important to look at this, look at this through the prism of race? Well, one, we have to understand the full magnitude of the impact on this virus in our city. So as we started to see these numbers, we took a couple of steps. Number one, we mandated that all providers who are doing testing provide demographic information. We were seeing about a quarter of the providers telling us that they were testing, telling us the test results, but not including the race and that ethnicity of um, um, information, which we knew was uh, critically important. The other thing that we've done is made sure that we are reaching out to these communities. We're looking at the areas where there's the highest concentration of deaths, highest concentration of infections, um, and we formed a racial equity rapid response team right away. That is taking a model of kind of community-based medicine that has been effective in a particular area of the city and then expanding that model to include uh, public health folks, people on the ground, uh, in neighborhoods, everything from the pastors to the block clubs. Uh, We've got street intervention workers who normally are working on stopping violence We've now enlisted them uh, in this effort and really trying to be as hyper local as we can. We know that um, while we're a city of neighborhoods, each of them is unique in its own ways and they have their strengths and they have their challenges. So we've been learning even more about the nuances uh, of neighborhoods, particularly when you're talking about black and brown neighborhoods and what supports they need to be able to bring people into the healthcare system, educate Mm -hmm. about the virus and bringing people help um, is what we've really been about. You've been about that in in more ways than most leaders have because you were you started actually driving around, telling people, literally telling people to get back into their houses, to go back home when people weren't taking it seriously. This was on the ground mayoral work, and um, some of the PSAs that you started releasing were some of the funniest that I didn't I didn't think were real until I realized they actually came from you. One of my favorites was telling all the kids who are still going out to play basketball, your jump shot is not gonna improve, stay home. Why did you feel it was so important to get involved personally? And and why did you use humor to try and get your message across as well? Well, I mean, humor is kind of the unifying thing, right? Um, And in this really um, dark time, uh, we found that, and really this came up organically from other people. There's a bunch of memes that that started once I uh, closed the lakefront down. Um, and just building upon people's desire for content. You know, this is a time when we would be heavily involved in sports and music and all of that has been taken from us by um, really trying to curve the spread of this virus. Mm -hmm. So giving people hope and using humor Um, It's a great way to kind of break through the noise and reach people. I just think it's important for the mayor not to just be um, seen behind a TV screen, but to Mm -hmm. be out in the community safely, of course, um, but to be present. 
One, one of the policies you've implemented in Chicago um, truly stood out for me. And it was highlighted by an issue that I think a lot of people overlook during this time. And that is people who are trapped indoors or in houses or in any type of abode with family members who may be abusive, specifically women. We've seen domestic um, abuse rates skyrockets all over the world. And you, you've launched an interesting initiative, you know, um, Lyft and Uber are helping in this. Um, what are you doing and why did you feel that you had to do it in the way that you did? Well, look, we know that domestic violence is a problem in the best of times, and we were concerned about seeing an uptick. So what we did in, in combination with Uber and Lyft was um, uh, train the um, hotline workers where people are calling because they want to get out of a, a dangerous or troubling family circumstance to give them a special code that they can use to order a Lyft or an Uber to take them anywhere to safety. Um, it's a it's a very simple and straightforward thing, but we thought that that was really important. We didn't want the absence of a ride to be a reason why somebody felt compelled to stay in a dangerous um, domestic situation. Well, I commend you for that. Thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. And um, I genuinely hope that you get to help all of the people that you've been trying to. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much, Mayor Lightfoot. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mayor Lightfoot. Well, that's our show for tonight. Before we go, though, if you are able to help people who are going hungry because of this pandemic, please consider a donation to Feeding America. They're trying to supply people who need food. And right now they're supplying food to millions of people in America every single day. And they could use your help. Even a dollar can help somebody get a meal. Anyway, stay safe out there, wear a face mask, and remember, wash your hands before you pick your nose. I'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.